International. Welcome to the listening room. This is Joey Zimmerman, uh, listening room's live storytelling show held at Genuine Joe's Coffee House in North Austin. Second Saturday of every single month, eight o'clock. Free stories. We always have a good time. Uh, this month we had some good, uh, good stories told by um, very own producer of the show, Ethan Billups, uh, comedian Taylor Dowdy. Uh, comedian Bob Kusravi and comedian Robert Segovia. You can follow everyone. Uh, their Twitter handles here: Ethan at x34erb, Taylor Dowdy at Taylor Dowdy, Bob Kusravi at Pudley Chef, and Robert Segovia at LA Snacks. Uh, it was a really fun show. Um, it's pretty cool that we get to have this room and have these stories getting told. Uh, the world's crazy out there, so it's always pretty cool to disconnect and have a good time and listen to some stories. Uh, thanks again for listening. I hope everyone's having a good time out there. Please rate. Please subscribe. Uh, continue having a nice journey out there, everybody. I love you guys. Bye-bye. Your, your good stuff go up on there type in the listening room give it a give it a follow give it a listen there's some crazy stories going on some happy some sad some maybe think about stuff that you haven't thought about in a while maybe a good nostalgic thing in the past maybe it's just a silly goof off story who knows we're just here it's a good variety of folks uh it's going to be perhaps a uh vulnerable experience for some people who knows uh some people might share some things you might not agree with uh, don't yell anything at my friends that I bring up here. Um, but if I don't know, someone asks you something to engage with, you know, give, give a little, get a little, you know, tit tat, one, two, two, you know what I'm saying? Just have, have a fun time with it. Um, but yeah, this happens the second Saturday of every single month. Uh, my name's Joey Zimmerman. You guys ready to start this thing? Yeah! Cool, cool, cool. All right, story number one. Um, I'm from. I grew. I I'm not from here. I grew up in a, a little town called Wahoo, Nebraska. And for a straight out of Dr. Seuss, everybody with their own individual hat, and their own individual song. Um, only like 2,000 people in that town. So every also Nebraska. So it was very uh, Catholic and conservative mindset. Uh, I went to a very strict Catholic school growing up. Um, had it all, man, decked out in the uniform. The hair couldn't be, like, touching my ears. <laughs> I had to be real, real clean cut to the T. Uh, but I was always very kind of skeptical on, like, Catholic religion. I never really understood it that much. I remember the first time I actually said something about it, uh, I was, like, maybe seven or eight, and it was after Mass one time, and we got in the van, and before we, before we left the parking lot, I, I said, I, my mom was sitting in the passenger seat, of, and I was right behind her, and I was like, so we're just gonna, like, listen and do everything that someone says in a book? 
and she turned around and slapped me so fast. So if that's not just religion in a nutshell, I don't know what it would be. It was always like that. I always was a very energetic kid, and they tried. They really kind of scolded and looked down upon that. Uh, this one time they were doing like award ceremonies in the church, some like nice claps, and people got announced. And I remember one time my friend, he got something, got announced, and I stood up, and I was like, yeah, yeah, and everyone, like, looked around at me, and I had, like, in-school suspension for a couple days. They were not too kind. Um, growing up as a kid, I went to uh, church a lot. <laughs> like, m- Monday, Tuesday, when the days you're not supposed to go to church, I went. And then on the day you're supposed to go to church, I went for longer. That's how it was growing up. Um... And now whenever someone uh, asks me, they're like, you should really go to church again. You should really try it and give it a go. I just say that, like, because I went so much, I just have so much buildup, right? I just have, like, a little bag behind me, an imaginary bag. And whenever someone's like, oh, you missed a mass, I was like, oh, I'll use one from 1998. And I remember when I was in third grade. Uh, they can't see it, but he can see it, so he knows. <laughs> he knows I'm just. <laughs> he knows all is right. Um, <laughs> one one big thing I was always skeptical about uh, was uh, the, the day Jesus was born. It was on December 25th. Like, that was, like, as if they had the same calendar we had and everything. Like, that was the day, as if it's not named after a pagan god or anything. There's, like, December 25th. That's the day he was... He came out. Um, well, that's always like boggled my mind growing up, and I would argue with all my teachers about it because we all know the exact day he was born, but no one knows like the exact day he died. Like you don't know the the latter half of it. They have Catholics have a name for it. It's called Good Friday. No, which is weird. <laughs> like the day your Lord and Savior died. Pretty sweet. Pretty, pretty good day. How'd you know it was Friday? Well, afterwards, we got tore up. That's how. <laughs> I knew it was Friday. That's all I'm saying. It's like, if you're just going to remember the day he was born, you got to remember the day he died, too. Um, you know, as if the day he died wasn't some, like, big cataclysmic event, which it kind of was. <laughs> he was, like, uh, traded out for a murderer, crown of thorns, whipped and scourged. People spat at him as he carried this big-ass cross through a street. And then he gets all the way to the top of this hill, and he gets nailed to the thing. And you're telling me there was a one dude, one guy, who's just like, damn, June 3rd is crazy. We're <laughs> all gonna remember June 3rd, right? <laughs> oh, six, oh, three. <laughs> Never forget. <laughs> um, so I was, I was, I always had wild ideas like that, and I was sharing them, and people, they never liked that. Um, <laughs> which is towards the latter end of uh, when I was like a sophomore, junior, senior in in high school. I was was, was in a deep. I dyed my hair black. I had big old gauges, a lip ring in it. I was swinging for the fences. I was really about it. Um, I think this is is the key here. I think this is what what started, what set it off to on such a scale. by the time I got to when I was in fourth grade, they were like, this kid is pretty wild, rambunctious, talks a lot. Um, we tried putting him in the corner in the desk, but he just gets people's attention. Like, how are we going to solve this kid from making making sure kids pay attention in our class and not, like, talk to this goofy, this goofy kid all the time? 
Um, so in my fourth grade year at St. Wenceslas Catholic Grade School, I spent the entirety of fourth grade in a cardboard refrigerator box in the corner of the classroom. <laughs> that is true, which is pretty fucked up. Because <laughs> that has to go through some process, right? Like they're all in a council meeting, they're like, what are we gonna do? How can we fix this? And maybe there's one guy there who's just like, you know, me and the wife, we got a new fridge the other day. Got this big box. Don't know what to do with the box. What if, and hear me out. What if we put him in the corner and we cut the refrigerator box so it can like fold in and fold out? And we put him in there and then fold it in so the only thing you can see is the teacher's desk and where she lectures. Wouldn't that make him a... <laughs> Wouldn't that make him want to learn more or want him to love to be in school all the more? Um, so I was in this box <laughs> for a good long time. And I remember it was very, it was very odd. I would really wouldn't talk to many folks anymore. I wouldn't talk to my friends. I would just like beeline from the entry of the doorway just straight to my box and be in this little room for the entirety of the class period. Um, however, I, I think this is a testament to, to myself, and um, I'm a very creative-thinking person. Um, that is kind of what I, I like to pride myself in. I think this is a, a spark of where it first started to flourish. Um, I noticed this thing, and I noticed how much I didn't like it, and I thought, you know, what if I started making it more to like, I could like it. So I started decorating the inside of my box. <laughs> I was drawing flowers on it. This is like some Matilda stuff, all right? This is how I got psychic powers, all right? <laughs> I just pushed her out of a window. Like, what happened? You keep me in a box for eight months? This is what's going down. <laughs> so I started painting things on the window. When we stand up and do like our little prayer, I drew, drew, drew a little cross in my box to face the way. And then there's where I, it really kicked off where I liked a lot, because she put me in the corner where the bookshelf was. One day I got there early, and I took it, and I just put it around the bookshelf. And then I, like, cut out a little slit where I could poke out and just see my eyes. So folks had to come knock on my little box anytime they wanted a book. So then pretty soon I was just a librarian in the classroom, just kind of feeding things through. All of a sudden friends started passing notes through around. Pretty soon I was more popular in the box than I ever was outside of it in the first place. So I think that's what the moral of the story is, is that no matter how much your environment can kind of affect itself upon you, I think... Uh, we as people and we as creative thinking people can always find a way to not only make it better, but manipulate your reality or manipulate your environment into a way where it benefits you more rather than hindering you. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Good, good. Um, all the more story with uh, how things in our political world are going right now. Uh, I think it's very important that we try to affect as much change and as much uh, positive energy onto this environment around us that's trying to hinder us down. How about that, huh? Yeah. Hell yeah, that's gonna do it for my opening story.
Thank you guys so much for listening. Are you guys ready for your next storyteller? Hell yeah, hell yeah. This guy runs a great comedy show that happens at Hotel Vegas downtown. Really good comedian, really good friend of mine. Everybody give it up for the lovely Taylor Dowdy. Thank you, Joey. So, are, we, are any of us surprised that Joey spent a portion of his life in a refrigerator box? That's how he got to be so cool. All right, guys, let's forget that that was said. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm very glad Joey uh, invited me to do this because um, I'm pretty stoic, I think. I try to keep a lot in. I don't say a whole lot to a whole lot of people about my past, right? So... Uh, Bob, uh, the next guy, and Joey are pretty good friends of mine. And when I told Joey that this was the story I was going to tell, he was like, what? That happened to you? And I was like, yeah, it's fucking crazy. I know. So uh, I'm going to do two stories. I'm going to do them as quickly as I can. But the first story is um, uh, when I was 18, I had a baby, which is weird. <laughs> I mean, I didn't eat it. Now I don't have one anymore. It's like, I'll, I'll get into it. Uh, when I was 14, uh, I threatened my father. I said, look, I'm not going to live in your house anymore. When I turn 18, I'm fucking gone. And uh, I kept my promise. I did. Uh, the day I turned 18, I, I rolled out. And uh, I still had like six months of high school left, so I got a job at the local grocery store. I got an apartment, right? And I got an apartment with a friend of mine who had a girlfriend, and uh, she was pregnant at the time, right? So I was doing my thing. I was going to work, going to school, right? And... Uh, we started, uh, so the baby was born, and uh, the, my friend was really weird. Like, he was always thinking that she was cheating on him, right? And I was always like, nah, dude, nah, she's not doing that. So, I don't, even know, I don't even know if that's the thing in Texas, but in Wyoming, where I'm from, you can just not sign a birth certificate. You just don't have to do it, right? And so what that does is it leaves this wide open space on a birth certificate. So, uh year later after the baby's born, he's like, ah, you cheated on me, right? And so she starts hitting on me, and I'm 18 and stupid. I'm like, fucking sweet. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it, right? And then like a moron, uh, I did something that changed my life for uh, a long time, to this day, actually. She said, hey, you know, you didn't sign that birth certificate. We should go up there and have you sign it. And I was like, fucking, yeah. <laughs> I got a dog. I can do this. Like, it's, it's going to be easy. So that's what I did. I drove to a neighboring town's hospital where they had the birth certificate, and I signed it. And in that moment, I had a child. <laughs> yeah. Fucking weird. I, I, while I was working in the grocery store, I dyed my hair green using toilet bowl cleaner. This was the person that I was at this moment. I had a baby. So... Graduated high school, me and the girl, like, oh, the guy hated me. Like, we weren't friends anymore. Uh, he was like, yeah, I knew it. You were doing it the whole time. Like, I swear to God I wasn't. But all right. now, yes, but before <laughs> now, yeah. kind of right. So what I did, I bought a 1966 Chevy Impala with a seafoam green interior. It was a sweet car. Uh, it was matte black. I'll never, never forget that car. And I welded a trailer hitch to the back of it, and I just drove away. Me, the baby, and this girl. I had $200 and a bag of popcorn. That's not a joke. That's what I had. And I just hit the road. And I uh, there's this road. There's this road in my. T I grew up in a town of 700 people. Like nobody leaves ever to this day. Nobody knows there's that we're here. They don't. Know. 
<laughs> there's this road that goes over the hill and like forever as a joke like the whole town's like nobody ever knows it's over the hill well I fucking figured it out there's just more road and more hills and better people and the end word's not used as much out there as it is up there I know it's great it's nice out here so I drove away and this is a part of the story where I figured out that me and Bob Dylan have this single thing in common. We are the only people that I know of that abandoned a car out west. You know what I mean? I, that, that car broke down in Glen Rock, Wyoming and I just left it and I never saw it again. It was a great car. And uh, my mother, who was living in Texas at the time, uh, came to get me, came to get us and uh, she took me to a small town. Uh, just an hour south of Lubbock, Texas, called Snyder, Texas, and there was a college there, like a small community college. And I was 18, bored with a baby, green hair, right? And I was like, I'm going to go to college. That's what I'm going to do. So I went and enrolled, and not two months after enrolling, while I was gone at class, she left. She called the actual, the, the baby's real father, and when I got home to our apartment, all my shit was gone. Like my Iron Maiden t-shirt, that's what pissed me off a lot. I was like, I was... <laughs> fucking cool and I had like a small VHS collection like that was all of it gone and the baby too that was gone too but the VHS and Iron Maiden I was like the fuck so I just uh, in my depression I didn't this is what I call my zombie years I didn't really know who I was or what I was doing so I just went to college I kept going and I was listening to a lot of stand-up. I never, it was like, I may as well have said, I'm gonna open up the first 7-Eleven on the moon. Like, that was that made more sense than saying I was gonna be a stand-up comic. But I was listening to a lot of Mitch Hedberg, a lot of uh, Pat Oswald, uh, Dylan Bourne, I don't know if anybody knows that he's an Irish dude. Uh, I was listening to a lot of it, and two friends that I have had a mutual friend between them that I didn't know commit suicide. So while I was, um, Listening to all this stand-up, I just, in a, in a whim, I guess, was like, I'm going to put on a stand-up comedy benefit show. Here's the thing. I, if you don't know how stand-up works, uh, what I'm about to say isn't how it works. I booked a show in a theater, and I said, I'm a stand-up comic, which I wasn't, and I said, I need a show on this day. And they're like, well, what are you, you going to do? I was like, I'm going to stand. I'm going to do an hour. That's what I'm going to do. So, in a one-month period, I wrote one hour of stand-up comedy material, mostly in the style of Hedberg, it was like one-liner stuff. I booked it, packed the theater out, and my very first time on stage doing stand-up, I did 45 minutes of stand-up. That's not how it works. That's not how you should do it. I did a very bad thing. But uh, that's how I got into comedy. And uh, I never saw the girl again. I, I'm told that she's homeless in the streets of Montana. I can only hope that's true. Uh, and over the course of like six or seven years, I got various paperwork every now and again saying, this person wants to adopt the baby, this person wants to adopt the baby, this person wants to adopt the baby, and I signed each and every one of them. I didn't give a shit. And I've never, uh, I only knew the, the baby for like six months. Like that's all, uh, that's the amount of time that I was a father. But um, I'm, I have a joke in my, my regular act where it's like all my siblings have like kids and my worry is that they're going to come find me because I don't have any kids but my real fear is that that kid's going to come find me like who are you and it's like don't no, we can go drink if you want like, I got a gig you should come like, uh, but yeah that whole person could get things weird so that's how that's the story of me having a baby and how I got into comedy that's that Joey can I do one more yeah is that cool okay second story is um I, I had a cousin, and I, I emphasize had because he's dead. Um, I had a cousin who I was doing uh, stand-up and uh, going to college while this happened. 
apparently he got drunk in South Dakota and he was drinking with a friend of his driving through the, the hill country of South Dakota and there was a native it, it was a large Native American population up there. There's a lot of uh, reservations and stuff. And this dude, this uh, Native American man, his name is John Sixfeathers. He was crossing the highway at night and my cousin hit him at 70 miles an hour and killed him and told nobody. He just kept going. This is why I got out, by the way. They're not good people. And uh, but but John's friend found him on the side of the road. He lived like a mile down the road, and they found him. And they determined that um, so like my cousin's truck had blood on it, and all stuff. So they they, all, they put it all together. They did all the detective work and found out that this dude did it, and he got away with it. They just said, "Oh, well, that sucks." Wyoming's very weird. Like you can do anything you want. It's insane. Here's the good part, though. My cousin worked at a coal mine in Wyoming, and uh, the way the coal mining works up there, it's open pit. It's not like the classic, you know, tunnel coal mines that you see in the movie. It's open pit. So they have these enormous machines, and I shit you not, they're the size of like two houses. They're enormous. And they've got like tra- like uh, tank tracks on them. And they move very slowly because they're so big. They move at like the rate of a foot an hour, I think is the rate. And my cousin was working on one of those machines out in the, uh, the coal mine and his foot got caught underneath the tank track and he slowly, very slowly, was crushed to death by this machine and they found him two days later. So, you hit one, you get hit. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens. He was a douche. We can all agree from the previous time he was a douche and he had, he had it coming. <laughs> That's all I can say. Joey Zimmerman, everybody. <laughs> Taylor Daddy, everybody, give it going one more time for Taylor. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Good story. You guys having a fun time so far? Yeah, this is good. This is a good space. Thanks for being in the space. Up next, our new next storyteller. He's the guy who helped me produce this podcast. Go to thebodytapeintl.com for more fun podcasts that he also produces. Everybody give it up for Ethan Phillips. Hello. Thank you, Joey. Hi, everybody. How's it going? We hate Jimmy Fallon, right? Because he kind of fucked up the selection by letting Donald Trump on. You know, the hair rub, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we fucked up. But I've got some fucking dirt on Jimmy Fallon. Do you guys want to hear some Jimmy Fallon dirt? Okay. So I'm working at this bar in uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan, where I'm from, college. And I'm barbacking. And this bar, it, uh, it's a punk rock dive bar, about to go under in business. Um, my good friend, uh, who I used to go to the bar with, like on the wall, he had a, a running bar tab that the bartender let him have. It was up to $10,000. So this is the kind of bar that we did. Poor finance management, okay? And so I'm working there and Michigan gets a, uh, they start doing film incentive, like film credits, like tax-free, film your movie in Michigan, sort of thing. And so we get one. We get this movie called uh, Whiplash. You guys know this movie? Uh, Alan Page, Drew Barrymore. I think Eve was in it. Do you guys know the rapper Eve? With the paw print tattoos? Yeah, 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 now you know who I'm talking about. Uh, 
So they're all in town filming this movie, right? And I'm working at this bar, and they're like, okay, we're gonna come in, we're gonna have like an after party uh, after we're done filming for the day. So black out all the windows because it's like 2 a.m. is when they're gonna come in. They're gonna stay all night. And they do that. Uh, Ellen Page comes in, I meet Ellen Page. She's like, whoa, we look like twins. I'm like, oh shit, you're right. <laughs> and uh, I, try, I taught uh, Drew Barrymore, and uh, maybe from Arrested Development, I forget her name, but I taught him how to shotgun beers that night. That was pretty cool. And Eve, too. Eve was hanging out with the Paw Prince, you know? And, um, and so it was just a raucous night. We hang out till like 5 a.m. We rage. It's fucking wild. I go to sleep. Next day, they're like, oh, we're coming back tonight. We're coming back tonight. It's karaoke on the stage night. Uh, we're coming back during regular business hours, which was nice. You know, they came in, and I'm, I'm barbacking. I'm like a young, fresh, 19-year-old barback. And, uh, and they're in there, and they're all just raging and partying and singing karaoke, and it's awesome. And then all of a sudden, like, in through the door walks that fucking goofy-ass Jimmy Fallon and playing a game with a celebrity or something. But uh, yeah, he comes in, and it was like, holy shit, everyone's like, holy shit, it's, it's that boy, it's that boy Jimmy Fallon. Oh, gosh. And uh, so we're all hanging out, and we're partying. And um, I don't see Jimmy Fallon for a minute, and I'm like, I also don't see the door guy. He's just like a shady kind of door guy. He's a door guy. Door guy's are shady. Um, I don't see him. I don't see Jimmy Fallon. So I'm like, I'll walk to the back room. And so I uh, walk, and I open up the door to the back room, and uh, I see Jimmy Fallon just, just like looks up at me, just blowing the giantest rail of coke. <laughs> Like, like, not legal drug cocaine with the door guy, Tony Scarboni, and Jimmy Fallon are just blowing rails in the back. Oh, I've got to go. Uh, and so I, I turn around and walk. I go back to the front. I go back to bar, bar backing, and I'm like, to the bartender that owns the bar, I'm like, man, like, some wild shit going on, and he's like, I know, and he's got his shirt off, and he's on the bar, <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, you don't give a fuck, and he's like, yeah, you take over, whatever, and, uh, and then Jimmy Fallon comes out, and uh, this motherfucker's lit, <laughs> like, he's fucking drunk as shit, He's high as fuck on cocaine. He's Jimmy Fallon, who's just naturally like a fucking 17-year-old goofball. And um, and he comes up behind the bar, and a bar backing, and Saki's a, uh, I got it. And he like walks to the back, grabs a case of PBR, and like goes down and just starts like stocking them for me. And like taking, like there's a huge line, he's just taking people's order, and he's like, yeah, get him a bullet. You got it. And I was just like, oh my God, Jimmy Fallon. Like, calm down, stop bar backing, stop stealing my job. It's a union job, Jimmy Fallon. You're taking all my work. Oh my god, it was it was such a fucked up night. It was so fucked up. My friend, the bartender who danced, uh, who danced on top of the bar with his shirt off, 
he uh, he went home with Eve, the tattoos, the, you know, the rapper. He went home with her, and then, you know, I, I, I just like, cool, closing down the bar. I walk to the back, and I look, and it's just fucking Jimmy Fallon on the ground. And, you know, we're just over. I'm like, oh, fuck, man, I don't know. <laughs> he's like, he's like oh, what'd I do? It's like a bunch of cocaine. Jimmy, that's what you did. You fucked up, man. And uh, whatever. He, he left, went back to New York. No repercussions, of course. But um, the bartender with the shirt off, that guy, the guy that owned the dive bar that was going under, um, he comes in the next day, right? He's like, fuck, man. I didn't, you know, the Eve with the tattoos. <laughs> I went home with her. Oh my god. And we're like, yes, that's crazy. And he's like, she slept in my bed. I'm like, what? Ah. And he's like, yeah, man. And he's like, and you know what else? And I'm like, what? And he's like, she left this. And she's got her wedding ring. Yeah, yeah, it's a giant rock, like a giant Eve rock. If you hold it up to the light, it's like two paw prints in it. Um, yeah, but then like, I'm like, holy shit, dude. And like, oh man, like, what are we going to do with it? And he's like, we're going to save the bar. And I'm like, oh, cool. All right, guys, thank you so much. All right, crazy. I'm Ethan Bills, everyone, keep it going for him! Keep it going, keep it going! www.bodytakeintl, run some fun podcasts, fun podcasts. Guys still check, just checking in. You guys still going good, huh? Hell yeah, hell yeah. Ready for your final storyteller of the night? Yeah, this guy, hell yeah. You can catch him at Cap City, uh, mostly a, a lot, a lot. Look it up on Cap City, check it up, see when it's coming next. He'll be there this Wednesday. Uh, he runs a fun storytelling show there as well. Um, really, really good comedian. I love this guy a lot. Uh, give it up, everyone, for Bob Kasrabi. Joey Zimmerman, everybody. What's up? Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good, good. I didn't really care. I just politely asked. Uh, really, it's about me talking. I'm so happy you're here, though. There's so many of you. I'm impressed. Um, thank you for coming out tonight to listen to us tell stories. And you guys have been really nice, patient about it. Sometimes an audience has no idea what the fuck's going on. Uh, which makes it much more fun for, as a storyteller to be like, surprise! Okay. This is it. This is all I got. Joey oversold me. I got nothing. This is going to be the worst. There was supposed to be a bunch of other people here. This was supposed to be a very diverse show, and it did not happen. Um, the girls bailed, and Daniel Webb didn't show up. Uh, so now it's just, I'm the diversity. I'm in. It's <laughs> a lot of fucking pressure on one set of shoulders to give you guys some insight. Uh, I grew up here. I grew up here in America. I didn't. I wasn't born here. I moved here when I was four, and it's been interesting just because there's been a lot of stuff that's happened. Uh, from a very early age, people let me know that I what didn't belong didn't think I was an American, and I, I've had a lot of fun with it. I'm gonna lie to you guys. Um, you got to take your weaknesses and turn them into strengths. I think uh, I'm gonna get all Joey Zimmer and Zen on you. <laughs> You gotta make it work for you. And my favorite way to make it work is to make white people very uncomfortable with the fact <laughs> that I am fucking foreign. It is, even though I grew up here, I'm like, you should be anxious. It's the best part of being from another country. Uh, this shit started when I was real young. Um, you, has anyone here seen me before? 
No? Okay, cool. Well, oh, yeah, Rebecca, obviously. My friend. Okay. It started when I was really young. I actually... I'm going to tell you guys a story. This is when I realized, okay, that maybe I don't fit in here. And it started a little bit earlier than this, but this was the moment when I was like, okay, this is definitely not right. Uh, it was in second grade. And what happened is I lived in a town uh, called Topeka uh, in a very red state called Kansas because my parents liked white people. And in second grade, there's this thing that they do is that they decide that all the classes, or at least our school did, they decided that all the elementary school classes were going to make flags and that each class was going to make a different state flag. And in this way, they were going to tell us what flags represented, like what different colors mean, the, the stripes, the figures on the flags, and teach us a little bit about, like, you know, the states, um, our society, uh, our union as a whole. Unfortunately, the way they decided to do that was that they gave the fourth graders first pick, and then the third graders second pick, and then us second graders got the last pick. We were like the last grade that was allowed to handle scissors. So those were the three. And by the time this stuff, the flags got to second graders, all that was left was the boring flags. I don't know how long it's been since you guys looked at state flags. <laughs> I mean, as an adult, you can kind of appreciate their beauty of like, oh, these symbols mean stuff, and they're simple geometric shapes, but they have this really deep symbolism. Uh, as, a, as a kid, you're just like, fucking squares. Like, you just... <laughs> that's all we got left is just goddamn squares. This is the worst. <laughs> I mean, as a child, what you want is animals. Like, you want animals or people stabbing each other. Like, that... <laughs> Those are dope-ass flags, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the flag of Vermont, but that's the coolest fucking flag in the States. It is a woman with an eagle on her shoulder stabbing a dude through the heart. And, and I think it says, like, fuck you, freedom, across the bottom. It's the best flag. It is the best, but the fourth graders got that flag. So we, we were, of course, these, us, us kids, we're complaining. We're like, these, these, flags, these flags suck. And the kids are behind me. I was right up front. And all the kids behind me are, are, are bitching about it. And I'm flipping through the book, I'm like, God, these flags are so sad. When I realized that there was a whole other section of flags, just past, past the state flags, there was an entire, an entire like, glossary full of national flags. And I don't if you've never seen country flags, those, those flags are badass. Like, when, you, when you're making a flag that represents all of the people that live in a place, you put some fucking effort into it. Like, those flags are really cool, you guys. So I was going through these flags, and I'm like, man, these, why aren't we making these flags? And my, I had my heart set on two flags. I had my heart set on the Albanian flag and the Brazilian flag. And Albania, I wanted that one because it, it's, it's a phoenix with two heads facing opposite directions, and it's red and black, which were like my favorite colors. Uh, and the Brazilian flag is green, and it's got a giant earth on it with these stars on the outside. And I'm like, space, I'm, I'm seven. I'm totally in space at this point. <laughs> so I'm like, this is badass. So I raised my hand, and I asked what I thought was an innocent question. I said, excuse me, can I make my own flag? And the teacher goes, what, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I, we, I just want to know if I can make like, my own flag. Like, well, yeah, can I make my own flag? She's like, you want to make your flag? And I was like, well, you know, since we got all this construction paper, can I just like make a little flag for myself? And she's like, let me see if that'd be okay, and I'll get back to you. And I was like, all right, all right, I'm seven. I don't know. <laughs> this sounded like a chill agreement to me. Like, you find out if that's okay. 
three days later, she comes back and announces to the flag in a very excited voice that she has gotten us permission to make the flag of the Islamic Republic of Iran. <laughs> and she turns to me and she's like, I did this for you. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't want to make that flag. I want to make the Albanian flag. <laughs> At which point I found out that what had happened is she had gone to the principal and told the principal that there was this little Middle Eastern boy who wanted to explore his own nationality, his own identity, and the principal had gone to the superintendent of the school district. And I guess, my personal theory is that maybe to avoid another, like, Brown versus the state of education in Kansas, they were like, fuck it, let him make the flag. And then this shit had come all the way back down to me, and now I was like, I don't want to do that. I have no interest in that flag. I want to make this badass flag. Because there's no animals on the flag, by the way. The Islamic Republic run, no flag, no animals. It's just, it's just other weird shapes. And, and at this point, as soon as I said, I don't want to do that, a, a little bit of bedlam broke out. Like All the kids were like, well, shit, if we can make any flag we want, I want to make this flag. Right? They all said, there was, there was, it was me and one Hispanic boy. And he was like, can we make the flag of Mexico? And she, the teacher, was having none of it. She was like, no, what we're doing is we're making this flag. I got his permission to make this flag. We're going to make this flag. <laughs> so for the next three weeks, we made the flag <laughs> of the Islamic Republic of Iran. And, and, and the thing is, like, just to get, if, you, if you haven't seen the movie Argo, uh, let me give you a little background as to what was going on during this time. This was in the late 80s, but this was post- uh, the students rising up and like taking over the U.S. Embassy and holding hostages. This was after uh, the hostages had been negotiated, but then the, the U.S. had made multiple attempts on Khomeini's life. Uh, so he had then got his, his, like his uh, followers riled up, and on the news at night, there was people walking through the streets of Iran with signs that said, Death to America! And meanwhile... In the fucking elementary school of Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> this second grade class is making their fucking flag. <laughs> and then they would turn to me, and these kids would be like, well, what do these symbols mean? And I would go, I don't, I don't know. What am I supposed to know? And then they would turn to the teacher, and she was a decent teacher, so she would go look this shit up and then teach these kids, and then they would run off home, tell their parents what they had learned about the Islamic Republic of Iran. And I'm pretty sure that those parents were calling in and complaining because by the final week, no one was allowed to work on the flag but me. <laughs> well, me and the Hispanic kid. We're the only two. Because his parents didn't give a fuck. They were like, they were like it's a flag. You know, right? Like, fucking whatever. So, and I still didn't take this seriously. I was like, I don't, like this. I don't want to make this flag. I don't care about this flag. And, and so she has assigned me this responsibility of making the centerpiece. And it's me and the little Hispanic kid. And uh, I'm, I'm miserable. I hate it. I don't want to make it. And he's like, well, hey, let me show you the flag of Mexico. And he pulls it out, and the flag of Mexico has an eagle on it. You know, like, choking the shit out of a snake. It's got this badass banner crawling across it. And I was like, well, fuck, these are essentially the same colors. Let's make your flag. She probably won't even notice. Right? I don't even think she knows what the flag's supposed to look like. So we had a little debate. There was a little argument between the two of us because we both wanted to cut out the eagle. Um, but he made a good point. He was like, I'm actually Mexican. And I was like, all right, fair enough. 
but, but I'm cutting the snake. I'm cutting the goddamn snake. I'm making at least one of these animals. And then we got to work. And the thing is, at the age of seven, and I realize this now because I'm an adult, at the age of seven, I didn't understand the process of subterfuge. You know what I mean? Like, you get, as you get older, you begin to learn how the world works, so you learn how to make it look like you're not doing something you're not supposed to do. But at seven, uh, all I knew was that she wouldn't stop bitching about the fact that I didn't care, and now I cared. And so I was, we were, work, we were working. Me and this fan kid, we were fucking at work. But to the teacher, it was like, hey, that troublesome Middle Eastern boy is suddenly very quiet in the corner with this Hispanic kid. What the fuck are they up to? <laughs> so in the middle, like, we are almost done, right? We've got the eagle cut out. We're working on the banner. I've got the snake at the bottom. She walks up and sees what we've done. And she was fucking furious. <laughs> she was so mad, you guys. She was like, what the fuck? And then I got a whole lecture about how I was, you know, so ungrateful. Uh, she had done so much to make this happen for me. And as you can imagine, I was, I was very sad about it. Because we almost got that fucking eagle. <laughs> anyway, the little, the little Hispanic boy wasn't allowed to work with me anymore. And I had to finish this flag by myself. Like, she wouldn't let me do anything else. I had to sit up front and make this goddamn flag. <laughs> and then, uh, at the end of that semester, they invited all the parents to school for a big conference, like a big student-teacher conference. And one of the, the closing feature of this was that they took him into the auditorium where they put up all 49 state flags that the different students had made. And off to the side, like way off to the side, one Islamic Republic. So now the, students, the parents of all of the schools, they come in, see the flags, and then go, what the? Including my own dad, who walked in, saw the flag, and went, what the fuck? Why is that there? And I was like, I don't know. They wanted me to make that flag. They were, they were really determined to make sure I made that flag. And soon after, we moved to Texas. Thank you guys very much. You've been a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much. Bob Gisnani, everybody. Keep it going for Bob. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And guess what? We had a special surprise guest drop in on us. He runs a storytelling show down at the new movement called Truth, Lies, and Fantasy. Everybody give it up for Robert Segovia! Hey guys. Yeah, I was like uh, just coming to watch the show. And Joey was like, hey, why don't you do a story? So uh, the only story I really have is a Halloween story. Remember Halloween when life was okay? <laughs> Remember that, that era of our lives? It seems like 40 years ago. Um, but I have, like, well, I'm from Southeast Texas. Anybody from Southeast Texas? No? No? Lucky you. <laughs> I, I used to call it, uh, when I would go back home, when I came from college, Mordor. Because when you would go, it was just like fire from the refineries and the windows would just shake. It was like, how can you live here? And I did for a very long time. And there's like a legend in Southeast Texas, it's called The Legend of Sarah Jane Road. And so I lived in this little hamlet called Groves, uh, right next to Port Arthur, Texas. Port Arthur, Texas, you may remember from the song Big Pimping. <laughs> because in Big Pimping, UGK goes Big Pimping up and down in PAT. 
There is no big pimping in PAT. There may be middle pimping or small pimping, but there's only 60,000 people in PAT. Um, so I, I, the legend of Sarah Jane, right? So the legend of Sarah Jane basically is this. A woman had a baby, right? She was walking in the woods. There's a river involved. And she just lost her baby. Where'd my baby go? Oh, my baby's gone. And there's lots of different stories of how she lost it. One is she was just like walking in the woods. She put it in a basket, put it in the river, and was like walked away. And was like, wait a minute, rivers. That's one of the stories. One story, uh, she was in the Civil War, right? She was Confederate. And she hit her baby running away from Union soldiers. One problem with that story, nobody has ever fought over this land. (laughs) It was 40 miles away from any Civil War battle. Nobody wants it. Even before the refineries, it's basically a swamp forest. Nobody wants it. The last one, which is like my favorite Sarah Jane Road story, which is she was a pirate. (laughs) This is about 30 miles inland. So this story presupposes that she was like, hey, I got a baby, I'm a pirate lady, pirate captain lady with a baby, and then just goes 30 miles in and just leaves the baby (laughs) and goes back to pirating, whatever that is. So that was the story when I was like in high school, like the legend of Sarah Jane Road, right? It was happening. And so what did we do as good high school students in our high school class? We just got as high as fuck went into this forest, and was like, Sarah Jane, ooh! You know, you'd see this light, there was always this light, and it was like, Sarah Jane's here, Sarah Jane's here! And that was cool for about a year. And then somebody died. So somebody died. It's okay. So somebody died on Sarah Jane Road, and I was like, whoa, Sarah Jane, right? This, and I'm old as fuck, so this is the time of newspapers. And so news traveled slowly in the wagon era. And so there was like these newspapers and they'd be just like, what happened? What happened to Billy on Sarah Jane Road? Could the Sarah Jane thing actually be real? Could this be real? Right? And they had all sorts of theories. There was like, well, maybe it was the chemtrails because the refineries owned all the forests. So it could have just been chemicals, right? Or maybe the person just drowned, right? And so two weeks of people just freaking out. Like we were just freaking out in this town. Turned out, it was a gator. <laughs> because it's always a gator where I'm from. You don't know how many people have died of gators. And look, I'm not throwing gator glass on the gator houses. I was high as F on that river. I could have totally been eaten by a gator. <laughs> like that could have totally happened to me. Uh, but it was like a gator. And so like... Then we were happy, you know, like, it was like, oh, oh, there's no, there's no mystery here, there's a gator. But I only tell this story, really, um, to tell the end part, which is the legend of Sarah Jane Road requires you to say something if you ever see Sarah Jane, if she's ever just kind of jingling or bingling or lighting or whatever she does, if she's like out there in the forest, you have to say this to her seven times. And it's, I have your baby, Sarah Jane. So I want you to do that with men, right? So we're going to do that, right? So let's do it. I have your baby, Sarah Jane. 
I have your baby, Sarah Jane. I have your baby, Sarah Jane. I have your baby, Sarah Jane. I have your baby, Sarah Jane. I have your baby, Sarah Jane. I have your baby, Sarah Jane. Seven times, really, Sarah Jane? You couldn't have done three? <laughs> what a needy fucking ghost that is. Like, if I was like, if Sarah Jane actually came to me and I was on drugs like I was for most of high school, I'd be like, we have your baby, Sarah. And I'd just be like, okay, are we done? <laughs> and I'd just be murdered. Uh, can I tell one more little tiny story? So that's the story of Sarah Jane Rhodes. So if you're ever in the woods, check that one out. Hi, uh, check that one out. Hey, is that a ghost? Um, so I'm gonna tell a tiny little story. Uh, my mom uh, was a failed writer just like me. So it's been a generational thing. Uh, and she was like a school teacher. She's like an English school teacher, right? And she would come home every day and she'd just be like working on her novel. And she'd be like working on her novel on one of those really old Macs, he'd be working on her novel. And we'd come home and she'd be like, leave me alone, I'm working on my novel. <laughs> but mom, I want peanut butter, fuck you. Working on my novel. And so she did that for like two years, like just working on her novel, right? And then the movie Waterworld came out. And then I came home from school and she's like, they stole my idea. <laughs> That was my novel, the movie Waterworld. And I was like a snot-nosed, like 12, 13-year-old kid. And my response to that was, Mom, that movie sucks. (laughs) So she literally did this, like in a movie sort of situation. She just threw away her computer. (laughs) And now, you know, I, I thought it was funny. When I was a kid, when I said that, I was like, oh, you're hilarious. Oh, another good one for the old Segovia. What a Sabrina the Teenage Witch kind of kid you are. But now I'm just like, man, that sucks. Can you imagine? You're just working on your novel, working on your novel, and then Doctor Strange comes out, and you never read a comic book. I don't know what that, why I chose Doctor Strange. Obviously, you know about that. Um, but I think that's it for me, guys. Thank you, everybody. I'm Robert Segovia. Robert Segovia, search the listening room and you can hear your laughs and your giggles and whatnot on that audio recorded file. Uh, my name is Joey Zimmerman. This happens the second Saturday of every single month. Uh, did you guys have fun? Yeah. All right. That's what's up. Thank you for coming so much. Bye-bye. International.